And now, it's Health Naturally with herbalist and natural therapist, Dennis Stewart. Dennis, last week on Health Naturally, you spoke about gut health. Uh, so which part of the gastrointestinal tract is, a, is most troublesome for many people? Well, look, I guess you'd say every part is a troublesome part potentially. But in my opinion, what's called the large bowel or the colon is a favourite target zone for many conditions that many of us will suffer. We'll talk today about keeping the large bowel or the colon healthy by simple things that we can do for ourselves. But also the bowel, the large mm. bowel, you say, can cause problems for us. Oh, look, if we look at the conditions that afflict the large bowel, there are many, many indeed, and some of them are quite serious. Uh, things like, for instance, bowel cancer, uh, things like ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, diverticulitis. These are all examples of diseases that can afflict that last part of the gastrointestinal tract. Unfortunately, with the skills of uh, modern medicine and gastroenterologists, many of these lesions are very well managed, certainly uh, in, a, in, a, in a way that uh, a couple of generations ago wouldn't have even been thought about. But what I'm going to talk about a little bit today is what I refer to as a functional disease of the large bowel, which is probably something that afflicts a very, very large percentage of people who unfortunately are reluctant to discuss it for some form of em embarrassment perhaps, but what I'm going to talk about, and this is based on many years in practice of observing the popularity of this condition, is that many people suffer what we call chronic constipation. And that is a disease, um, functional it may be, but it is a, a disease that ha is wrought with problems. And many people that I've spoken to, patients and clients, uh, for many, many years of their lives, have agonised with this problem and have never really uh, sought to do things themselves other than take what we frequently refer to as laxatives. And that's not the way to address uh, bowel functioning. What we have to look at are ways and means of things that we can do that are not going to cost us an arm and a leg, that are not going to medicalise the condition unnecessarily, but things that we can do ourselves that have the potential even late in life, to change the functioning of the bowel for the better. And I believe that what we're going to discuss today uh, will be written down by many listeners because I know a very large percentage of them, men and women, reluctant they might be to admit and talk about this, suffer from it. Well, the good news is there's a few things that we can do ourselves that can help us with this condition. And we have Paul who's rung in from Islington on that number. Paul, you've got a question about snoring. Yes. <laughs> Hello, Paul. Hello, Dennis, how are you? I'm not too badly. How can we help you? Uh, well, it's not me you're helping, it's my niece's husband. She wants oh. to wring his neck and I'm wondering if you've got anything that you might be able to do with snoring. <laughs> Look, there. In, in my opinion, there's no easy way to resolve this problem, but... The, the thing is, try to get the condition clarified. S snoring can be associated with other conditions. Uh, frequently they can be associated with um, uh, conditions associated with the structure of the nose and, and the nasal passages. 
um, they can sometimes be associated with what are, uh, can sometimes be associated with what are called polyps. Uh, it can sometimes be associated with being overweight. So rather than seeing the condition uh, being responsive to just taking something, uh, the first thing that I would be seeking to do would be to rule in or rule out some of the causative factors. And it's a condition that shouldn't be just shrugged off, so to speak. Um, snoring is considered these days to be something that can even compromise, potentially, uh, cardiovascular health. So it, it uh, needs to be looked at medically. I'm not sure whether your niece's husband has been to see their GP, but again, I come back to the point that it shouldn't be shrugged off and just mm-hmm. a, a laughable thing that we have to tolerate. Um, it needs to be investigated. Uh, in our own family, for instance, um, one of my um, son-in-laws um, had great benefit, great benefit, uh, by eventually getting onto a CPAC machine which um, was prescribed for him, changed his life and uh, had a big impact on the household, I can assure you. And, the, the, uh, and it actually surprised me as to the way in which his over, over, uh, overall health improved as a result of going from a, a chronic snorer into someone who, using that condition, was able to get a good night's sleep, uh, awake refreshed, and um, function a bit better. So there is no easy way of getting around this. I can't say, here, take this herb or take this pill. You might find on counters here and there all sorts of remarkable claims. I would have a bit of scepticism about them. If I was him, I'd go back, get some investigation and take on board the things that I've said. Look at the structure with his, perhaps, doctor or an ear, nose and throat specialist as to the structure of the nasal passages. See if there are any polyps. Look at his weight condition. And uh, you need to look at that because that can be a a significant contributing factor. Snoring what may well be a lifestyle problem which responds to lifestyle modification. The other thing is, and we shouldn't rule this out necessarily, is that there may be some genuine um, condition occurring on the nasal mucous membrane where it is swollen due to perhaps his having a chronic rhinitis that may be affecting the condition to some degree. These are all things that I come back to can contribute, in my opinion, to this condition. And if I were him, obviously he's a younger man, I'd get in and get it sorted out now before it starts to develop into something more serious. Yeah, well, it's amazing that somebody doesn't. Somebody sounds like a train and another person doesn't snore at all. Correct. So, um, Correct. Yeah. Carol, you're recovering from uh, radiation as part of radiotherapy, I suppose, as a treatment for cancer, and uh, you're wanting to recover quite quickly. Is that right? Yes, I have um, finished my radiation. I had breast cancer. Um, I had it removed, and I'm about to go on to a estrogen um, suppressant. So I'm just wondering if there's anything that he might. I know I've got to stay away from the Pfizer estrogens, which are the fake estrogen things. Um, but like, what's good to take them? Well, look, Carol, my my dear wife, uh, about ten years ago. Um, had uh, a breast cancer which was successfully removed and um, she from that day has uh, taken a preparation that I speak about frequently which is known as Astragalus 8 
and uh, the labelling of that product uh, uh, speaks about it being a recovery type of preparation. So I would be suggesting uh, one of the things that you consider going on to is the Astragalus 8 formula, which is procurable from your pharmacy or your health food store. Um, what does it do? Well, OK. What, what it essentially is, it supports all the, how can I call it, the vitality mechanisms of the body. It's, uh, it's a remedy that um, is more associated with one's immunology. And it, even though it's uh, referred to as an immune-enhancing remedy, it is a, uh, a remedy that goes further than that. For instance, it's a remedy that's popularly prescribed for a chronic fatigue syndrome, which, which can be a corollary of many conditions. Many people that come through a procedure like yours um, feel fatigued, weary, tired. It's a struggle. Astragalus 8, by virtue of the way in which uh, to use uh, common terminology, increases the vitality of the body, is a great remedy, in my opinion, to promote recovery and well-being, energy, as well as give an edge to the immune system. Okay. Um, what about... I've been taking magnesium, um, zinc, and I've been out and, and lots of vitamin C, and I do feel... Well, I was fatigued immune-wise, and you can't take anything, so... What about with this tablet that's coming up? Well, is that OK that Moxifen to take with that? You're talking about the... Uh, the um, estrogen blocker. Yeah, estrogen blocker. Look, what you have to be cautious of uh, when you're using estrogen blockers is that anything you take, um, food included, um, is not rich in what are called phytoestrogens. For instance, um, there's some support for saying... That, that soy products shouldn't yeah. be taken in, 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 a, in a large amount if you yeah. are uh, yeah. using medication to try to keep your estrogen reserve lower. There's debate yeah. about that because, in my opinion, you'd have to be eating a lot of yeah, uh, food eat. like that. Yeah, yes. they do actually. They're very good. Yeah. 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 Look, it's, it's, it's probably very difficult to eat any vegetable food without there being potentially some molecule that might be phytoestrogenic. But you have to th put things in perspective. Everything comes to the amount of stuff that you're taking, so to speak, that may contain those. So I think as a general principle, you are aware of it. Any supplement that you take uh, needs to be cleared by your pharmacist or your retailer to ensure that it doesn't contain um, herbs like, for instance, uh, red clover, uh, herbs, for instance, like uh, black cohosh, um, those sorts of popular herbs that are prescribed because of their phytoestrogenic characteristics. They also said, well, that, that's exactly, they did say that. They said that the vitamins that I have, bright-coloured vitamins, are best to have, and that, like, the brighter colours, like purples and oranges and, and that sort of the colours of vegetables, it's not to stress about them in the food, but if you're going to take vitamins, but not taking red clover. Yeah, look, I think that's pretty good advice because when you are taking uh, any vegetable substance in a medicinal form, you are usually using a concentrate or an extract that wants to harness the benefits of that particular vegetable or herb. For instance, red clover products, as you know, are used to address aspects 
of the menopause because of their containing significant amounts of what are called phytoestrogens. So uh, there's a big difference in using a herb or a food in that way than perhaps yeah. occasionally eating a food that may have a trace of a phytoestrogen in it. No, I actually was going to take a um, uh, Cactus Agnes, um, and I can't take it either. Vitex Agnes Castus? Mm, well, I could talk a lot about Vitex Agnes Castus. Um, I would be surprised if it were uh, vigorously phytoestrogenic, but if you had been, if, if you have been counselled not to use it, you go by the advice that has been given to you. I might have a different uh, viewpoint on Vitex Agnes Castus. Yeah, oh, I think that's a good one. That's unreal that that vitamin but um yeah as been said not to stay away from it um the magnesium school well again you have to ask yourself why am i taking these things i know uh, that magnesium is useful for some patients and clients for addressing uh, cramp conditions um i'm not sure that i would have too much enthusiasm uh, for its use in, in other medical conditions and astragalus 8 appears to be on people's mm. minds at the moment, Dennis. And Laureen from Summerlin Point, um, you want to know about astragalus 8 and a different condition. Yes, my... Um, hi, Dennis. Hello, um, my sister-in-law suffers, mm. suffers from shingles. Yes. Um, and I suggested that maybe that astralagus 8 could help mm. her. Would I, am I right in saying yeah. that, or now, what do you suggest? Are you, are you saying that your dear sister uh, gets shingles uh, frequently? Yeah, okay. yeah very okay. frequently. Okay. <laughs> um, now, as you and other listeners would know, uh, shingles is a viral condition. Yep. Uh, it's known as herpes zoster. And it's uh, a very, very nasty condition and it involves uh, aspects of the nervous system and you can have lingering symptoms of shingles which uh, is known as post-hepatic neuralgia. Now, the fact that your sister is getting this viral condition frequently is quite nasty, but here is where I would think that um, astragalus 8 may offer... Uh, certainly, in my opinion, might offer more potential benefit than any other herbal remedy that I have worked with. I know a lot right. about I know a lot about the astragalus eight formula, as you probably know. I was responsible yep. for introducing it to Australia. Oh, and, it's wonderful! Uh, I swear by it. <laughs> and the interesting thing is, with reference to the herpes virus, uh, both herpes simplex or cold sores or herpes zoster or shingles, it is one of those remedies that has shown an ability to break into the recurrence of this viral activity. I would be suggesting that you could give your sister or sister-in-law a very acceptable gift by suggesting <laughs> that she go on to the astragalus 8 and, and stay on it. It's not one of those things that one should uh, try for a week or so if your sister or sister-in-law is getting this condition frequently, it obviously says something about a fairly weakened immune system. Yeah. And being with astragalus can be very restorative and can give the body's resistance some fight back against the assertion of this virus. You go for it. 
Thanks for your call, Laureen. And 49216216 is the number if you'd like to put a question to Dennis Stewart. Health Naturally is the program on 2NURFM and we're talking about constipation. We are indeed. We're talking about uh, that condition which I suggested earlier was probably the most common condition associated with the large bowel that afflicts many, many, many people. Even though reluctantly, uh, people seem to be embarrassed about talking about the problem. We, we have to look at this condition as being a potentially serious condition. Not only is there pain and discomfort associated with constipation, but there is also the possibility of causing other conditions. For instance, hemorrhoids, or what are loosely referred to as piles, can be at least aggravated, if not caused, by a chronic constipational history. Pressure placed on the abdomen in the attempt um, to pass a stool in a constipated condition can aggravate or perhaps even bring on hemorrhoids. And that in itself then becomes a problem of incredible significance. Uh, it also can create what are called fissures. Fissures are like cracks or splits in the, in the, in the anal e region, which are very difficult to manage, very, very painful, and, uh, and, and quite uh, a, a condition with seriousness associated with it. We shouldn't, therefore, see something like this as something to be lived with from one episode to another see it as something that has major health consequences. People perhaps don't realise that frequently with constipation one can also develop not varicosity of the, of the anal blood vessels, i.e. hemorrhoids, but one can also develop over a period of time varicose veins. The same sorts of factors that lead to uh, uh, constipation and lead to um, hemorrhoids are those factors which also at least complicate if not bring on varicosity of the veins and that can be a very serious uh, condition indeed particularly as we get older so for all those sorts of reasons it is useful to talk on this program now and then about making people aware of the seriousness of the condition and making people aware of the consequences of unmanaged constipation and making people aware of the fact that there are things that we can do, simple, inexpensive things in our lifestyle and supplements and, and food habits which can ease the condition. Oh, are we going to talk about those? We are indeed. <laughs> we will go through them one, two and three. One, two and three. Are we going to start now? I think we should start now. Let's start with Let's, one. Because there's a fair amount to get through. What? First of all, that we, when we're looking at this problem, we need to take on board the fact that we live in a sedentary and potentially dehydrated society. Now, what do we mean by that? We mean that in the modern era, people's lifestyle has changed so much that from the workplace to our homes, we are not uh, exercising as much, we are not perspiring as much, and therefore we are not hydrating enough, we are not taking enough fluid into our body, certainly not in the context of what was done a number of generations ago. Now, you might say, well, how does that translate to constipation? If the gastrointestinal tract is dehydrated, 
waste products potentially can become dehydrated and that can contribute, believe it or not, to a constipation condition. So the first thing we have to do is take on board today that none of us are drinking enough fluid. And this doesn't mean to say that you have to be gorging yourself with fluid. We're talking about a sensible, regular, healthy intake of fluid to keep the bowel contents in a, a fluid form and in a non-hydrated form. So if you're not doing that, that needs to be done. We're saying this particularly to people in, in nursing homes, or elderly people that perhaps uh, are not drinking enough fluid, get into regularly taking fluid as a means of hydrating the gastrointestinal tract. Principle number one. Now, is that water the best way of... Look, I think water is the, best, uh, is the best liquid that you can take. This doesn't mean to say that you can't enjoy a beer or some other beverage. I certainly do. But certainly see water as the best hydrator of the gastrointestinal tract, something that's cheap and we don't have to buy water, even though he's seemingly these days we all are. Um, ordinary water for a tank, I use tank water, but from the tap... Plenty of it hydrating the gastrointestinal tract. That in itself can be a useful way of addressing the problem. Now, before we look at number two, mm. Sue has rung in from Charlestown with a question for you, Dennis. Uh, hormone replacement, Sue. Hello, Sue. Hello. Um, I've had a long journey with hormone replacement. Yes. I've had the Trojans. Yes. But the um, at the moment, I cannot get them um they are now um I've, I've tried to go to the gp to get estrogen progesterone and um replacement but um they all refuse to give it to me and i don't understand why um because i have had a hysterectomy so i do not have any um yeah in my body so i'm, I'm looking for something either i have heard that there's tablets and there's patches that are available there but um they don't seem to be want to to give him to me so i was just wondering if you had any ideas of this or why they're so prejudiced in that way well i don't wouldn't necessarily share your viewpoint that the doctors are necessarily prejudiced against i think what most gps would be wanting to do is to ask questions as to why you would need uh, hormone replacement therapy. Hormone replacement therapy perhaps is not as popular as it was decades ago when perhaps it was uh, recommended too frequently. Um, there was a, a theory around that some forms of hormone replacement therapy could be associated with breast lesions. Uh, so I think doctors today, and I would concur with them, are more aware uh, about caution in prescribing hormone replacement therapy, albeit I know a number of uh, GP colleagues that uh, in, in serious cases where the patient's uh, experience of, um, of hormone deficit is, is so great that they're experiencing profound symptoms of perspiration and flushing, etc., that they have prescribed uh, hormone replacement therapy after an assessment of the condition and after they're determining that in this case the patient's well-being um, is very, very important and so long as they were being monitored uh, for any emerging side effects, it would be okay. 
I understand the and GPs. And that's the case for me. Like, and that's mm. the case for me, too. That's, but but well, precisely the mm. case for me. Well, all I, all I can say, because I don't know your case, is but I have great regard for, for my GP colleagues. I would be um, sitting down with them, putting your case, and um, asking for an explanation as to why... Uh, and if there are other options, you say that you have used uh, troches and presumably patches as well, have you? Is there any natural patches? No, no, natural? no. Regardless of what you would be told and regardless of what might occur on shelves in retail outlets, etc., there are no substances, certainly that I'm aware of, in the herbal or, or natural world that uh, okay. can take over or compensate entirely for the reduction of your hormone production. Type 1 diabetes, Ron. Yeah, I'd, I'd very much like to, yes. Hello, Ron. Hello, Dennis, how are you? Oh, very well. I've, uh, I've been mean to, uh, to speak to you for a long mm. time and you used to be on a, another station once. That's correct. <laughs> and uh, I just sort of caught up because I've been switching over to the, this channel a lot and it's, it's a fabulous channel. It's, channel. Great, it's, it's a great station, I can tell you. Yeah, you're in a good place. Yeah, so I, I've got type 1 diabetes. Yes, yes. And uh, I just want a few opinions about it. Actually, I'd like to probably see you personally one day. There's a, quite a lot, lot I'd like to ask you about as far as that's concerned. But uh, I was just thinking what you thought about when they change from... Because I go back 42 years. I'm yes. 37 now. Um, and we used to use, uh, from the older type instruments we used to use, they used to have used... Because I like everything natural like you do yourself. And they used to have the isham from pork or pigs. Oh, OK. Yeah. Did you know about that? No, I don't. No. I, I know that uh, there was some extraction from from animals, but that was a long, long time ago. And I really oh, yeah, going back a long time. That's when I first had it, like, okay. 40 years ago. Okay. And uh, we never had the problems we have now because it would bring a natural uh, from a... Because uh, a, a, poor, a pig is closest to a human being. OK. Yeah. And so they used to use their insulin, and it was really good because you used to have a lot of warnings if you went into what they call a hypo, when, you, when your blood sugar drops down. Mm-hmm. You see? Well, when you use pork, you had a lot of... You didn't have... It didn't used to hit you quite so heavily. You had plenty of warnings before you had a hypo. Oh, and, yeah, it was excellent. And we also, when we had those days, we didn't use what they call fast-action insulin. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Okay, yeah. you with me now? Mm. So what what I found of, since, since that introduction of the synthetic uh, insulins, uh, they've, they've had a lot more trouble with type one diabetes and, and people having hypos. Well, obviously um, that's a pretty controversial statement, Ron, and I can't comment on it. All that I would say is that I think a type one diabetes is better managed today than at any stage of its history, and. Um, uh, you'd be under, I'm sure, the best medical management for your condition. And uh, whilst you might reflect back on experiences with medication years ago, I'm quite sure at the end of the day what your good doctors are treating you with now is superior medication and less likely to perhaps create 
any complications associated with older preparations. And one of the interesting things about that, Dennis, is that, that technology has moved oh, on as well as absolutely. scientific knowledge, absolutely. hasn't it? And absolutely. So things have become a lot more refined absolutely. in a lot absolutely. of cases. What I would say to, to you, Ron, is that uh, you would have heard me on this program before. Um, there are a couple of little supplements that you might discuss with your doctor, but in my opinion, if you are not on complicated other medication, using ginkgo and bilberry to provide some protection peripherally, that's with your legs and your feet, and ocularly, that's with your eyes, against some diabetic potential complications. Uh, I've recommended for years those two supplements as perhaps being the best for any person with, with, with diabetes. And it was interesting, yesterday I had one of my last patients heard me some time ago talking about the potential benefits of oil of evening primrose in very high dosages being used to uh, address um, the, the problem of some diabetic neuro neuropathic symptoms. And he was vouching for the fact yesterday in my rooms at New Lambton that since he's been using the uh, primrose oil, which you heard about on this program, that he's convinced his experience as a diabetic of, uh, of neuropathy has in fact lessened. So that was good comment, wasn't it? That is A very safe supplement. And there are things you can do without interfering with your good management. So all the very best with that, Ron. Thank you for the call. And uh, we could get on to number two, I think we have to. We have to scoot through this. Yes. The, next, the, the second thing that needs to be taken on board in, in managing this very common problem is the value of what we call soluble fibre. Our diet, unfortunately, in modern times is lacking fibre. That is a civilizational problem. It's endemic in Western societies. Foods in their refined form have taken over from, from foods in their own processed form. Fibre has been lessened in our diet, and fibre, unless it is in our diet, contributes seriously to slow transit time through the gut and to constipational tendencies. So it's necessary for people that are battling this condition to start to consider and discuss it with your GP or your natural therapist. Start using a soluble fibre, whether that be psyllium or, by preference, slippery elm. And if you start using them, they must be used as a food and used on a regular basis and taken, as I said earlier, with plenty of fluid. That's the second and most important thing that we can emphasise, and that on its own, in conjunction with hydration, can alter significantly the functioning of the bowel and lessen a lot of constipational tendencies. Mm, useful. And uh, Lynn has rung in from Gresford now, Dennis. And Lynn, uh, your question is about severe exhaustion coming and going. Is that right? That's right. Five weeks ago, I had a shoulder reconstruction. And yes. ever since then... I have waves of severe exhaustion yes. and if I don't stop, I'll have a seizure. Oh, dear, dear. Lynn, I'm missing your eggs. <laughs> well, we've had plenty. Have you? Well, you'll have to, have to <laughs> drop some into my rooms. They were the best eggs I've ever tasted. Really? Yeah, they were lovely. Listen, have you tried some astragalus 8? No. OK. Well, look, um, I know your address... When I get back to my rooms, I'll tell my staff to send you some Astragalus 8 compliments of the station 
and compliments of uh, your good friendship. So see how you go with that, Lynn. Thank you. I really appreciate that because I'm sick of being tired. Now, what you'll have to do, you'll have to hang on and give to the uh, the lady at the uh, who's receiving your call. You'll have to give her your address and telephone number rather than my trying to find it when I get back to, the, to my rooms. Okay, thanks. And Rob's getting a lot of help as well. Oh, please, Lynn. Thank you for yep. ringing, Lynn. Good. You're welcome. Okay. Stay on the line, Lynn, and uh, we'll sort that out. Um, well, we've got just a, a couple of minutes more. Have we got time yes, we to have, talk about think, number three? I think the, the, the next thing we have to realise is that an old-fashioned an old fashioned way of dealing with constipation was to recognise the well-proven domestic use, particularly at um, breakfast time, of using prunes. 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 Now, uh, prunes contain a chemical constituent which has a stimulating effect on the bowel wall. In other words, it has a phytochemical in it which encourages the bowel to go into a concertina-like action. The regular daily use of prunes or even a tumbler of prune juice is one of the simplest and most inexpensive ways of encouraging the bowel to work well, particularly when taken on board those other two things. A simple use of a regular taking of prunes on one's muesli or one's porridge or just on its own or a glass of prune juice from the supermarket, not very expensive, start to do that. And some listeners out there, particularly my generation and particularly people that were raised on a farm, would, would realise that using rhubarb, simple rhubarb. Rhubarb was an old-fashioned favourite also. We used to grow it in our gardens. You don't see a lot of it today. You still see it in supermarkets. But rhubarb, believe it or not, when used as a cere- on one cereal as a, or as a breakfast food, works similarly to the prune in that it has a chemical constituent in it which stimulates bowel functioning. So alter your breakfast. If you eat breakfast, start to think about using prunes in any form, and particularly now and then, also bringing in the regular use of rhubarb. And if you go down that pathway and start to get a benefit, don't jump jump ship, stay on it. That's a simple thing to do. And and, uh, time's just about gone. The only other thing that I would say at this stage is, you've heard me talk, listeners, about olive oil. Mediterranean people rarely experience constipation. Why? because they love their olive oil. 30 mils of extra virgin olive oil taken on a daily basis is virtually a guarantee for healthy transit time. There are some hints. doesn't cost the listener anything. You don't have to go and spend a lot of money in getting the bowel to work a little bit better and take on board what we said at the beginning of the program. It's got to work better because there are consequences if it doesn't work better. If it doesn't. That's a great topic, Mm. Dennis. Thanks very much, Dennis Stewart. And uh, you'll be back next Friday for Health Naturally. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.